So welcome everybody to another edition of Beyond the Cover. I am your host, John Robb, who are joined here by my wonderful co-host, Jeff Bears. Jeff, how are you doing? Doing great. Hope the evening is going well so far. So far, the evening is going well. I want to remind everybody, too, that all of our shows are brought to you by Kensington Books, so visit kensingtonbooks.com for more information. And make sure you visit suspensemagazine.com. You can read the latest issue that is out. And we are putting together our best of 2019 right now. The votes have been in. The most votes we've ever received in any uh, time was this year. That's fantastic. Yeah, tons and tons. Tons of votes. It was fabulous. Loved it. So those results will be out. But tonight, we are pleased to uh, have the guest be Diana uh, Radnauer, or Reidenauer. I should know that, Reidenauer, because there's a street in my hometown called Reidenauer, and no one can ever pronounce it. Now I look stupid. So it's Dana Reidenauer, <clears throat> and <laughs> you can hear it back on loud. And so we're going to be talking about uh, her latest book called Below the Radar, but it is book three in her Lexi Montgomery FBI series. And so, Dana, we want to thank you for coming on. Oh, thank you for having me. Uh, I'm happy to be here. He always botches names. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. That's okay. And I just and I had and all of a sudden I was like I had a little phlegm in my throat, too much information, and I was like, oh, I better mute myself so I can cough that up. So, um, but yeah, Dana, it's great to talk with you. Now you're also an ex FBI agent, so there's going to be a lot of material, of course, in these books. That's going to be a lot of true life. So why don't you kind of give us the scoop of beyond the below the radar and you know take us through the series here. Okay, sure. Well, Below the Ray Art is the third book in the Lexi McGammy series. It picks up with my main character, who is a female FBI agent who works in the undercover world. It picks up two or three months after the last book, which was Beyond the Cabin. And the start of this book, Lexi, uh, the last assignment went horribly wrong for her, so she's um, in need of a break. And everybody tells her that she needs to step away from undercover work, but Uh, Like any good FBI agent, when a Dutch constable goes missing, she jumps at the chance to dive back into the undercover world. So she goes over to the Netherlands. Actually, this book is set in the Netherlands with a male FBI agent who she's unfamiliar with, and they're thrown into working an undercover investigation together. And neither one of them completely trusts one another, so it's a little bit of a cat-and-mouth game between the agents as well as between her and the target. So um, this book is actually, it's interesting, you mentioned that uh, it is based sometime on some of my casework, and this book particularly was based on a case that I worked with a male FBI agent. I was undercover. We did go to the Netherlands, and in fact, he was my boyfriend at the time, so we were romantically involved. We were a couple playing a couple, which is something that was a little bit different in um, the FBI world. And um, the book is fiction, but it is based on a case that we did work, so the first part of it is pretty factual, and then it goes off into the world of fiction. And that's how all three of the books work, actually. They're based on cases that I've worked in sometimes characters that I've come in contact with over the years in um, the the years that I worked undercover, but then I did fictionalize the stories. That's cool. Um, I love that real-life stuff. Yeah, yeah, it it makes it – I tried to keep it realistic. I didn't want to write just another run-of-the-mill FBI book because there's just so many of those out there. 
True. I wanted to write something that was more realistic and that showed the the psychological toll that working undercover has on agents and officers who do like long term undercover work. Well, I, you actually are starting to sort of get what question I'm going to ask, which is um, the Lexi's character. You deal a lot about her psychology and uh, psychological aspects of her mental state. So I'm wondering, since you make her suffer a great deal, uh, how do you keep that believable with uh, all the stuff she's going through? And do you find writing about her therapy for you? Oh, absolutely. In fact, when I was writing the first book, it was therapy, and I didn't even realize it. I had found, I had kept some journals when I was working the undercover work. I kept them actually hidden in the ceiling panels of my undercover apartment. But I was just jotting down thoughts, emotions, feelings, that sort of thing, more so than just the day-to-day stuff. And I found those journals, and those journals actually became the basis for my my character of Lexi Montgomery. So the character is... Um, you know, everybody asks, was the character based on you? Well, in a way it was because it was based on my journals. It was based on the the emotions and the feeling and a lot of the turmoil that I was feeling as an agent. So I guess the character is definitely kind of an alter ego of myself, I guess. Okay. But, um, but I think that's cool. That, yeah, yeah. But yeah. So that, that's kind of how the character came about but but working undercover does take a toll on you and you know you're you're cut off from your your friends and your family and all the stuff that means something to you in life so it's a lonely existence and that's what I was kind of trying to get across in the books that it's not all glamorous and it's not all like on television that there's a lot of loneliness and a lot of kind of dark times that comes with working long-term undercover work. Well, I know we're going to want to ask what TV gets right and wrong, but uh, I'm wondering, with all the time you had in the FBI, was there ever a moment when you thought, oh, no, the jig is up and that's it, I'm done? <laughs> with as far as working undercover? Yeah, or um, like even like I'm a, I'm a goner type thing also. <laughs> well, yeah, when, when I wasn't working undercover, I was working narcotics. So there was a lot wow. of times when you, when you worked in that kind of uh, case like that, when you were doing a lot of search warrants and things like that. And, yeah, so there were some hairy, hairy times, especially with the narcotics cases. Yeah. But as far as the, the undercover work, um, towards the end of a long-term assignment that I was working, it was one that I was working with my boyfriend, who is now my husband, so it did have a happy ending. But uh, <laughs> it was a long-term case we were working <laughs> And uh, we, our identities were discovered. So it was kind of one of those situations where uh, you know, we had to get out of town, and we had to get out of town pretty quick. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, oh, it wow. makes us, yeah, it's a little, little, little bit of hairy situation. <laughs> now, before I'm glad I, you found I, out ahead of time. Yeah. What was that? What was I that, Jeff? I missed that. Well, I was just glad she found out ahead of time instead of finding out. At the worst time, if you know what that's I mean. That's true. Oh, yeah. We had time to <laughs> leave, yeah. That's true. We did. We had time to get out of there, and we were safe. And Well, we yeah. had cover agents and things like that that helped us uh, get out get out of town pretty quick. So that was good. Wow. Oh, 
Some hair-raising yeah. stuff right there, though. That's pretty cool. It was. It was definitely. <laughs> so, now, I, I, I want to find out, of course, you know, kind of why you decided to start writing. But first, the one thing that I guess a lot of people don't understand is, you know, we, we have so many different agencies, government agencies, law enforcement agencies in this country. And I never knew, like, I always thought the FBI was always just internal, but it was more like the CIA or something else that was more global. So... I mean, how does the FBI get involved in a case that you would have to go out of the country for like that and it wasn't another agency? Like, how does it fall in your jurisdiction? Well, that, that's a great question uh, and because a lot of people don't realize that the FBI do operate internationally as well. For the most part, the CIA does all the uh, work overseas and the FBI does all the domestic work. However, in the situation that we were working, it was a domestic terrorism case that we were working, and our American targets traveled overseas, and they were okay. traveling overseas to attend a training camp. And in that situation, when we went to the FBI and we said, hey, we're going to have American targets traveling overseas, um, I think we need to go, and we've mm -hmm. been invited. So they, of course, contacted the Dutch police and they worked everything out, and the Dutch police were more than happy to have the intelligence. So that's how the FBI ended up working overseas. Gotcha. So, yeah. and, and, you know, and when you put that in the books and you kind of explain, I think that helps because, again, you, know, I, you just don't know because, like I said, there's so many different government agencies and law enforcement things out there and so many cross-different jurisdiction things. It's just you just kind of shake your head because I think it's just so – confusing like a spider web for normal people so when you have to write it you got to dumb it down for the five-year-old like me well and and you're not the only one um it was kind of funny what the the characters have actually uh we've written a pilot for television and it's being shot oh, cool. and well and that was the first question that they had was well we've got to change the we've got to change the setting because you know, you don't want this set overseas because the FBI doesn't work overseas. And then when right. I tried to explain to Hollywood that, yes, the FBI does work overseas, they said, no, the FBI doesn't work overseas. And I had to finally explain, but this is based on a real case. The FBI does. <laughs> but in right, the see? long run, they didn't, they didn't think that the, an American... They didn't think people would it. believe it. Right, exactly. So they yeah, wanted cool. the whole thing set in the United States. <laughs> so... So, so then back to kind of my original question then. You know, what was it that, that got you to want to start writing, you know, the, the, um, the books? Well, I think originally the, I, I never set out to be an author, really, and I never, especially never set out to write a series of books. I started writing just because I had a little bit of a downtime when we were in, a, in the transfer mode and we, we were burned. So we couldn't go to the FBI office. We couldn't go to our covert sites. Um, so I had a little bit of downtime, and I, that's where I had my journals pulled out. And I started writing. Mainly, I thought, I'll write this for my mom. You know, she, my mother's a big reader, and she, she had been the one to always say, you should write, you should write, you should write. So I thought, well, I'll write my mom a book, you know. <laughs> and that's how the whole thing started. I started writing. And then after several people started looking at the manuscript, they were like, no, this doesn't need to just be your mom's book. You need to get this book published. And so from there on, um, I just, it was an addiction. I finished the first book and went right back, right straight into Beyond the Cabin 
And then by the time I got beyond the cabin done, I was completely addicted to riding. I can't imagine not riding at this point in time. I love it. I just I enjoy I enjoy creating these characters. I enjoy the story, and it's just it's just been so much fun. So I actually retired from the FBI and launched my first book the day I retired. So I went from one fast, furious career straight into the second. That's so cool. Um, what made you decide to uh, go small press route instead of uh, doing the agent and trying to go to larger presses? Well, to be absolutely honest, it's because I just didn't know the business. You know, I'd been an agent for 21 years, and I didn't know the business well enough. I should have probably taken a year off uh, before I launched that first book and uh, did a little bit of work and, and looked at finding an agent and things like that. But, you know, I'd just been – so many people had told me, oh, you know, it's, it'll be years, it'll be years, and it's so hard to find an agent. You should you – should, uh, indie publish these books and get them out there and um, I guess I just listened and I don't know I don't know if it's the right decision or the wrong decision but they're out there now <laughs> <laughs> well um, you also said you started working on the second book the minute you finished the first one what yes what was your thought process of uh, making a series with this character rather than doing another book with completely different characters well the the first book, of course, is set in L.A., and it was her first mission. The second book is set in the low country of South Carolina, which is my home. And I wanted to write a story and incorporate the, the South Carolina low country almost as a character in the book. I just love this area so much, and I just felt like I could, uh, I could almost have it as a character. And the greatest thing about having an FBI undercover is that you can move her around anywhere you need to go. So... I can plop her down anywhere in the United States, and bam, you have a whole new story. So uh, that worked out perfect because it's just it, it's kind of a fun thing to do. So I can hit different areas of the country and different kind of cases that I've worked, and all using my one FBI character. Makes sense. Plus, I really liked her, and I didn't I didn't want to say yeah. goodbye to her. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there's that too for sure. Yeah. Yeah, that, that makes sense. Now, I mean. Now, the one thing that you kind of have was, I always like to talk about villains, and the one thing that you kind of have with your case file, of course, is that you always kind of have like those built-in villains, but how did you want to kind of make it your own, and, and what kind of work and preparation did you like work on the villains to kind of make it, you know, like a little bit different than it was when you were working the case? Well, I love villains, so I really wanted to give Lexi some somebody who would really be um, – could stand up to her. I, I wanted the readers to think, you know, at any given time she was going to lose. You know, she, I just didn't want the hero to be in there without, without a, uh, a good villain. And I also think that a, a good villain is somebody that's, you know, not, not too far off from, from everyday people. You know, I think n- not every hero is perfect and not every villain is evil completely evil anyway. So I just wanted to have uh, make, make the villain, villains more like the people that I'd come in contact with uh, in all the years that I've worked. You know, they, sometimes they have families and sometimes they do things that are wrong, but, I mean, sometimes they don't even start out doing things wrong. I mean, they'll end up doing things wrong, but they, they started out doing things for the right reason and just kind of slid down some slippery slope. So 
I tried to make the villains as realistic as part possible, but I do I do like writing villains. Um, I'm wondering, since we're sort of jumping around the subject here, and you mentioned this, you said that uh, this is being developed for television. How did that come about, and what's the latest on that? Well, I met a screenwriter a couple of years back before the second book had even come out. I think the first book was out, and I was working on the second book. And he and I just sat down one day, and we were talking about ideas, and um, we thought that eventually we would have enough material with the Lexi characters to uh, to write what we originally thought a movie. But he had been um, in Hollywood for 20-some years, and at that point we were getting the indication that Hollywood didn't really want the smaller stuff. They were looking for the big Marvel characters and uh, superheroes and all that. So yeah. that's when the word came down that the all the streaming services, everybody was looking for original programming, and, and Hulu was just coming into it, and I guess uh, Amazon and Prime, uh, Amazon and Netflix and everything. So we decided we would develop a three-season television um, project and write the pilot and then um, develop the outline of three seasons and see. So at this point in time, it's 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 out there and done, but um, um, he's taking care of kind of that end of it, trying to get it chopped. But you know, we kind of get it gets hot and cold. When when we get to like somebody's looking at it and interested, and then then you get cr- crickets for a while. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I, I, well, I mean, just, I live in LA, so I kind of hear a lot of the Hollywood stories and the horror stories and the good stories and. You know, I mean, it, it, it's, a, it's a lot of running, and it is, it's definitely, definitely a lot of grinding. It is, yeah. But I look at the books, and, and, and I think it would, it would really make a good television series, I think. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I know I'm the author, and I probably shouldn't say that, but I do think it would. I think it could be, just because it's original, it's different, it's, the storylines are different, and it's not just something blo- being blown up every other, every yeah. other scene, yeah. and it's not international terrorism. It's not all the stuff that, all, every time you turn on the television, you see it's a little different. You know, it has a little different feel to it. Well, the one thing oh, that so you're that not standing miss... behind a door that's being shot at and being fined, then is what you're saying. Yeah, yeah. It drives me nuts <laughs> on every cop show I watch. Jeez. Oh god. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, the, you know, the worst is the worst is when the the guy, I mean, the officer, the agent, right before he goes to the door. He's going to rack around in the gun. That drives me crazy. Nobody walks around with an unloaded weapon. And that's just, there's so many things about television that drives me crazy. But that's the worst. Now I'm off. I was, you got me off on a tangent. Well, the one, no, I love tangents. Because the, the one thing that I miss is the, the detective. I miss the not being able to just pull out your smartphone and have somebody call you and say, boom, there they are, and, and that's it. It's, that, to me, that is so boring. I miss the detective having to actually do the groundwork. And I think that those are the shows that, would, that, you know, that are different and that would be a little better today if they would bring them back the right way and take away some of that technology. So much yeah. technology. It's, just no, it's, like, it's not even realistic, man. It's like, come on. I know, I know, and and television and movies make the FBI and all federal agencies look like they have even more technology than they did, yeah. which is 
even more. That's going to kill you guys because you're just like, hey, no, I can't get freaking fingerprints off of that. It doesn't work that way. This is not law and order. All right, stop. You yeah, know, or, I know. Well, there's the whole CSI effect, even well, in, with jurors. Didn't, didn't the jury of Casey Anthony say, well, there was no DNA and that's why they let her go? And it's like, really? I know. It's it's. It really does make uh, yeah. the police and law enforcement have a tougher job because juries expect they want everything. They want blood, they want DNA, and they want fingerprints. Yeah. And it's like, you know, you look at them sometimes and you go, there's a videotape of this person selling drugs to this person. Why do you need more evidence than that? And exactly. It's crazy. It's crazy. Yeah. It just, it, it just had to be like, you know, one of those just, like one of those tough jobs that you would do so much work, so much work, and you're like, damn it, 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 it busted because of that? You know what I mean? Yes. I, so, yeah, that's, that, that's got to be hard. But, you know, writing a book, I guess, is not much easier. <laughs> no, that's true. <laughs> yeah. Do you do a lot of events? Do you go uh, out and do a lot of uh, different conferences and conventions? I do. I do. In fact, I just came off of my book tour for – um, for the last book for Below the Radar, and um, I was all over the southeast with that one. And But I do a lot of conferences. I do, I, I've actually been teaching quite a bit at writers' conferences, and I've been teaching how to write law enforcement characters and how to write FBI characters, uh, which is a lot of fun because most people get their research from television and movies. So, <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah, so I've been well, doing a lot of teaching, things like that. Well, we've talked a bit about what, TV gets wrong, what do they get right? Oh, that's a good one. Oh. Well, you know what? One of my favorite things uh, here lately that television has really done a great job with, I don't know if you've seen the television show from, on Netflix right now called uh, Mindhunter. It is excellent, and they did a really good job of it. Um, no. They based it on John Douglas's books, um, and they're, they're, they're excellent. They, there's a little bit of Hollywood to it, you know, but overall sure. very little. It's the early stages of the FBI's um, behavioral assessment unit and yeah. how they went out and interviewed all these serial killers and, and, and put, kind of put the whole profiling, on, um, profiling thing together. And it's great. It's a really great series. So, yeah, they, they did it right with that show. I highly recommend you know, I, that one. In the intro, I talked about how um, Sense Magazine, how our magazine is putting together the best of list for 2019. What's a couple books you read this year that, that you thought were really, really good? Oh, well, you know, let's see. I, I, it's not really on the spot. Mystery, though. I know, but, hey, but I love where, right. where, where the crawdads sing. That was just great. I love that. Really? Book. It's not a, not a mystery or suspense. but hey, It doesn't have to be. Just any kind of book. Oh, it's a beautifully written book, and I understand they're going to turn it into a movie. So hopefully, oh, cool. Uh, of course, hopefully they'll yeah. do a good job with it. Yeah. It's, it was a beautiful book. I really enjoyed that. Um, but the, every once in a while, I'll go back and I'll read. Uh, you talk about suspense that I really loved. Was, I loved Thomas Harris's Red Dragon and Silence of the Lambs. So about every five or six years, I'll go back and reread those two books, and they scare huh. the daylights out of me, but I love them. Yeah. <laughs> Clarice Starling, so, you know, is it it difficult, you know, just kind of rock me, is is it difficult to get to Quantico and, you know, go through the training? I mean, how would somebody, you know, do it? I mean, you just apply? Yeah, it's a a long process, actually. 
you have to have a college degree. You have to be 23 to 37 years old. So, um, and then, you know, with your college degree, and they also want work experience. So the average age of the person in the FBI Academy is about 29 or 30. So it's, they're not real, you know, they're not real young when they're in there. And it's, um, it's, a, it's a lot of shooting and running and uh, defensive tactics, all that kind of stuff. But it's also a lot of classroom work. I, I finished my career as a class counselor up, back up at Quantico, so uh, I hadn't been up there in years. And uh, it, was, it, it had changed quite a bit. For one thing, the agents and the analysts are training together as far as the classroom work, which was really different than when I went through 20 uh-huh. years ago. Um, so that was interesting to see, but it, it works. It works really well, and they become friends, and they realize what each other's jobs are. So I think in the long run it helps to know the agents know what the analysts can do. The analysts know what the agents can do, and um, I think that's a, it's a good process. But, yeah, it's a, tough, it's a tough curriculum. They're up there for 21 weeks, and it's, if they fail, they can fail like one test, and that's it after that. They're on the chopping block. If they fail anything else, they have to go home. If they don't pass the physical requirements, they have to go home. And if they don't pass the shooting requirements, they have to go home. So, you know, those, those candidates are literally shooting for their jobs. You know, wow. they don't qualify, they go home. And you're talking about a 29 or 30-year-old person who probably has a wife or husband and kids, you know, and, and they're out of And heart and soul into this. Yeah, yeah. So it's a lot yeah. of pressure. Now, is your husband retired? He is. He's retired. He's, he's retired a year before me. Oh, cool. Oh, that's neat. Now, and nice. and when you and when you're going through boot camp like that, are you there the entire time, or are you just there Monday through Friday, going home? How does how does the and how many weeks is it? It's 21 weeks for the agent, and um, the, the first month they have to stay at Quantico. They're not allowed to leave for the first month. After that, they can leave on the weekends as long as there's not weekends activities plan. Sometimes there's weekend trainings and weekend uh, makeup work that they'll have to do. But as long as there's not any planned uh, makeup work or planned activities for that weekend, then they, then they can actually go home for the weekend. Okay. But, okay. you know, there's so much studying that most of them, unless they live very close or have families very close, most of them just stay on campus and, and study and train and for the entire 21 weeks. Yeah, for the entire 21 weeks. Yeah. Huh. What, it, what, what, what is Quantico near? What's the biggest city? It's, it's in northern Virginia. The biggest city would be Washington, D.C. Oh, okay. So it's not so, far from D.C. Okay. No, it's not far from D.C. It's huh. probably 45 minutes from D.C. It's about 30 minutes uh, north of Fredericksburg, Virginia. So okay. It's a be- beautiful setting. It's a very... Yeah, Virginia's a really yeah. pretty state. Yeah, very pretty setting, oh, sure. lots of trees, especially in the fall. Huh. Yeah. Jeff, you never made it out there, did you? You never had a tour of Quantico? Uh, no, I haven't, but um, no. I've been to D.C. several times in that okay. area. I know, like, Alan Jacobson, author Alan Jacobson, I know he's been there because he has um, friends at the FBI, and I know he's been around Quantico before, but that's about mm-hmm. the only person I think I know. So a couple authors I know have been there, but... Yeah, it's a, yeah, it's a neat uh, it's a neat training facility. I really cool. enjoyed it. I, I I enjoyed it when I was there, you know, as a candidate, and I loved being back as a counselor. It was a lot of fun. Um, it's just a very positive place. You you get the whole fidelity, bravery, integrity thing kind of drilled in your head, and 
it's it's a very positive place to be. So, I, so I really enjoyed it. So nice. so Dana, so your social media and your website, was that the best place for people to find out about you? Is it just Dana Dana is your website. Yes. Um R now let me spell it for people. R I D E N O U R is your last name dot net. Um and that's your best place? Yes. Yep, yeah, you can find me um uh, there. And all my books are available on Amazon or booksellers, local booksellers. And, uh, yeah, I'm on Facebook and and Twitter and Instagram and all that yeah. stuff. And, all that and fun that, stuff, huh? Yeah. yeah it's, <laughs> all, it's all on the website. You can connect with me on everything via the and website. And Book 4 is in the works, right? Book 4 is in the works. Yes, it is. Nice. Okay. And who's your publisher? Wise Inc. Creative Publishing. They're out of Minneapolis. Oh. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. Because I was because I think it was your publicist that contacted me, and that's uh, who it was. So yeah. 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 Wiley, well, Dana, we want to thank you so much for coming on. It's been a fascinating conversation. I could talk like different FBI stuff just for for a long time because that's just a world I just do not know. And all you know is TV, and you just always like right. to know like what's real, what's not. And you're like, oh yeah, it's probably five percent real, ninety five percent not. <laughs> yeah. Well. Check out yeah. the books, and then you'll get yeah. a bit clear, little bit better picture of it. <laughs> Absolutely. So, again, everybody, the book is called Below the Radar. It is book three in the Lexi Montgomery FBI series, uh, Beyond the Cabin and Behind the Mask are book one and two. I love that behind, Beyond the uh, Cabin cover, too. It's, like, really creepy. That's oh, good. yeah. <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, that's a good one. It's probably yeah. It's it's, like, it's just like creepy. I'm like I love the the trees coming down and the path going. And I'm like I don't know where it leads, but it ain't gonna be no place good. No, yeah, it's no it's no place good. I will tell you that much. Yep. So all right, Dana. Thank you so much for coming on. It's been a pleasure. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate it. It's been a fun. Oh, thank you again.